happy, oh, hi. Sorry, I'm just singing the Beyonce, my queen. It is her birthday, if you did not know. But I guess we gotta do this show today, which is going to be fantastic. First up, we're talking Lil Nas X and Kevin Hart in that viral video you're probably just now seeing. And then we are helping our friends at E! announce the People's Choice nominees. So stay right there and we'll see you on the timeline. Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. He's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM to DM. And you're watching it on a day that's not just any old day, and it's not just any old Wednesday. It's B-Day. Dimitri tweeted, happy 30th birthday to the legendary Uber talented Beyonce Knowles Carter. Here's a tweet from Behakdeed. Today, Beyonce turns 38, and I can precisely tell you where, when, and how I listened to B for the first time. Time flies so fast, and my love and admiration for this amazing woman can't stop growing. And Beyonce spent the weekend leading up to her birthday at Made in America, where she did what we would all want to do for our birthday celebration, which is watch Lizzo Ugh. perform. It's, I mean, the fact that they both shared air in that type of way is, is just incredible. It's just like too much. And it's not the first time. I was at a ceremony earlier this year for GLAAD, and Beyonce got an award and Lizzo performed. So I was waiting for this to happen, but I just, I can't with it. And then also it being her birthday. So, so many things to celebrate here. Um, I just can't believe that Beyonce is only 38 years old and has done so, so much. Like, how does she do it all? all how does she do it all? Like, most of us will never have an album. She has, what, like a thousand? And yeah. a movie and an Oscar. Does she have an Oscar? No, she does have an Oscar. I don't know. I'm going to give her an Oscar I mean, if she does one, one day. One day. Least. One day, at uh, least. But it also was just magical um, that she has a nomination. Uh, God just w whispered that in my ear. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's also <laughs> looking out for her. Um, but it's also just incredible to see these two women come together this week when Lizzo is now number one in the country. Um, but also, we just have like a like kind of this like vast amount of black excellence this year with like Lil Nas X, Lizzo, all topping the charts, and Beyonce ruling the world. So I love that. Yes, for as us. should be. One of my favorite things about uh, Lizzo being number one on the Billboard Hot 100 is that um, the song for which she went number one, um, according to Complex, it took 714 days for it to go number one. And I love the idea that you can put a piece of work out there mm -hmm. and that people will come to good music yes. and art and culture as they should. Yes, a good slow time. burn. A slow with time, burn. a slow burn. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, I was in uh, New Orleans this weekend and that song was playing the music video. And that's what everyone kept saying is like, I've been listening to this for years. Truth it's hurts. amazing yeah. to see that it finally is getting its due. And you know, I love it. I love it, love it, love it for yeah. all of them. So Beyonce's birthday, Lizzo at number one. Doesn't really get much better than that. I no. feel like this is what, this is what we needed. Yes, it was a holiday week, cycles. which means it's shorter. You know, this is magic. Yes. Magic in action. <laughs> well, let's take it to the timeline. When did you hear Beyonce for the first time? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. Um, I can't remember the precise moment that I heard her for the first time, but I do remember Say My Name um, just being everywhere mm -hmm. when I was in middle school and going yes. to birthday parties and the bot. Bat, bat and bar mitzvah circuit and like hearing it the everywhere. The circuit. I is, mean, that's is it like what a you circuit do. party. No, it is not like a circuit party. <laughs> I remember uh, Bills, Bills, Bills. I don't know why. I think because we were all kids singing about can you pay my bills and like we weren't even paying our own bills. So, I mean, these things go. That's fine. Yeah. And they were also like 15. So They were also like, not that far. I mean, that's what the wild thing about Beyonce being 38 is you're like, she's really not that much God. older. What are so. we doing with our lives? Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, let's switch some gears this morning. I'm tired of feeling like I'm not accomplishing enough. But here's a tweet from Uninterrupted. Lil Nas X speaks the truth about the choice to come out while at the top. Let's take a look.
recently. He said he was gay. So what? Yeah, what's the point? So why the, why did he feel that was necessary? Yes. Who cares? That's actually my question. Why do you feel it was necessary to come out and say that? It's not that like it's like being forced. It's just like knowing like growing up, like I'm grown. I'm growing up to hate this shit. I'm not supposed to growing ever to like this. Hey, what? Homosexuality, gay Why? people. Come on now. Why are you going to get If you're really it? from the hood, you know. You like, you know, like, it's, it's, it's not some. So. Mm, here's a tweet from Mark55. Lil Nas X speaks for so many kids out there and so many queer kids of color, and it's so powerful. And then you have Kevin Hart doing that shit he always does, where he has to find a way to just shut down anyone else in the room stealing his oxygen. And here's a sobering tweet from Bonch Boy Bonk. Lil Nas X was 12 years old when Kevin Hart said he would break a dollhouse over his son's head if he caught him playing with it because it's gay. Um, so there is a lot to unpack here uh -huh. in this video. So much. I mean, first of all, I wanted to make note that Kevin Hart did just famously survive a bad car accident. He is in full recovery. His wife says he will be fine. Um, so that's what we just want to make note of. But that does not take away from his very long history that goes back to 2010 of being not only homophobic, but defending his homophobia. And now he's dragged Lil Nas X, our king, our legend, mm -hmm. into the crosshairs. And I'm very uncomfortable from this video because I feel like you and I have been in these situations before and it's not fair that we have to sit there and explain our trauma, our histories, our lives to people who perpetuate them onto us and ask, oh, am I hurting you? Yeah. I'm sorry, did that yeah. happen? Well, that was the thing. When I watched this video for the first time, I was just like, huh, that feels a little odd because it was like, all of a sudden, Kevin Hart is pretending or almost feigning ignorance or pretending mm -hmm. that he hadn't said those things and that all of a sudden he gets it and he understands what's going on when really there is, you know, all of this really troubling context of his past statements. So mm -hmm. that was strange. And then the other thing um, that I thought was really admirable was um, Lil Nas X's degree of patience. I, I feel yeah. like it's a moment where you almost see this, like, smirk when Kevin Hart starts to talk. But yeah. Lil Nas X is doing the work to educate all of these guys mm -hmm. about uh, what he went through and why he decided to um, be open about his identity with everyone. Yeah. And and one of the things about this video, and I think with a lot of um, videos that we see where just an LGBTQ person is having to explain their lived experience, it, is that it really models this idea that it's like okay to ask LGBTQ people mm -hmm. um, about why we come out when we do um, and how we feel and these kind of really personal, personal questions. Um, and so, you know, that was another piece of this that I just wasn't thrilled that that dynamic was playing out. But it really yeah. did hit home for me because I'm like, I definitely have had conversations with people who I knew, um, you know, made homophobic jokes or said homophobic mm -hmm. things or said that, uh, you know, their religious values or whatever meant that they couldn't support um, my lifestyle, whatever that means. Yeah. And then when they talk to you to your face, they like to pretend that yeah. none of that ever happened. Yeah. Or like, we don't know. Yeah. And what's like, stunning to me here is that, you know, Kevin Hart is a huge, huge star. And when he was getting blasted for his comments, what he wasn't understanding is that he has influence and the things that he says people take to heart and live out in their everyday lives and why we wanted to include that tweet of the the context of Lil Nas X 12 when Kevin Hart first made that comment was because Lil Nas X was probably living in a house in which they were watching Kevin Hart and if you're hearing these jokes that's what you're thinking about as you're like oh shit I'm coming out well if I come out will this happen to me will I be bashed will I be hurt and we know that young people between the ages of you know 10 and 18 are facing vast amounts of homelessness due to rejection from their families yeah. so when Lil Nas X says you know I fought this hard to get here and while I'm on top while I finally am not sleeping on my sister's floor I'm not poor everything I'm willing to come forward and tell my full truth knowing that it's coming out in a space that's not historically accepted that mm -hmm. and Kevin Hart has the, the, the peace of mind to be like what are you talking about just 
really enrages me. Just yeah. really, really, really does. And I think that, you know, a lot of people uh, on Twitter were commenting that there, this is gaslighting that mm-hmm. was happening here. Um, and I think part of the reason why I feel that way is because Kevin Hart, we haven't seen him do the work to repair the things that have yeah. happened in the past. So we think about um, Lil Nas X being 12, Kevin Hart making those remarks, um, and Kevin Hart perpetuating that yeah. kind of culture, and then not uh, making amends and, and repairing the harm mm-hmm. that he had caused. Um, because certainly there is a path to do that. That, right, yes. where maybe at some point it will feel sincere yeah. when he decides to chime in on a conversation like this. But right now, we don't know. Well, for context, or for note here, we have not seen the full clip, which just was released late last night. So check it out on HBO if you'd like. Um, I will be trying to see it so we can continue this conversation yeah, yeah. with y'all. So, but let's take it to the timeline first. What do you think of this clip? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. All right, switching gears this morning, here's a tweet from Walmart. We've been working to understand the many important issues arising from the horrific events in El Paso and South Haven, as well as those raised in the national discussion around gun violence today. We are sharing some next steps with a statement from the CEO below where he says that the status quo is unacceptable. CBS Austin summed up the changes. After Walmart sells out of their current handgun inventory, they won't sell anymore. They'll also ask customers not to open carry firearms, even in states like Texas, where it's legal. Joining us now to discuss the implications of this move is Igor Volsky, the executive director of Guns Down America. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So how big of a change is this for Walmart? Yeah, this is a really big move. And, you know, this is a company that over the last several decades have limited gun availability in their stores because they understood that in order to keep their employees safe, in order to keep their customers safe, you got to make guns harder to get. And this latest announcement that they're ending all gun, all handgun sales, period, that they're significantly limiting the kinds of ammunition they're going to sell, that's a huge step in the right direction. Because if the largest employer in the world, the largest employer in America, understands that in this day and age, they have to lean into gun safety. I think a lot of corporations will follow suit. And, you know, our government, as you guys well know, has failed to keep us safe. So we have to enlist powerful voices in society, many of them being corporations, to help us build safer communities with fewer guns. And I'm so happy that Walmart responded to public pressure and is continuing to lead the way on this issue. Mm. And, you know, how are you all seeing this as activists leading this movement? How are you seeing that a place like Walmart, you know, signaling that it's not taking on these guns or selling them anymore, is impacting how buyers view the guns in which they are buying for themselves? Well, you know, Walmart is synonymous with Americana. Right. Uh, And they have a lot of stores in more rural parts of America that tend to be more conservative. And so when corporations take on this fight, I think they're starting to create cultural change around this issue. And they're joining the millions of Americans who understand that where there are more guns, there are more gun death. So to us, you know, this is really thrilling. We engaged over the month of August through the Walmart Must Act Coalition in grassroots advocacy around the country. You know, thousands of Americans rallied up Walmarts all around the country. And so to us, it says that grassroots advocacy, that public pressure like this works. And you know what? 
Walmart is, is a business that clearly responds to public pressure. And I think the message to Congress as they come back into session on September 9th is that they have to follow suit because we're in a situation where Walmart is now doing more to help prevent gun violence than members of Congress. You mentioned that uh, you're part of this Walmart Must Act coalition. Um, can you talk a little bit more about who was a part of that coalition and the kind of work that you were doing? Um, did you ever hear anything directly from Walmart before these changes? Yeah, so we were uh, so happy to lead this coalition with Color of Change and March for Our Lives and uh, AFT um, and, and Move On, just so many wonderful organizations, People for the American Way. We brought all of these voices together and we did several things. You know, very publicly in the aftermath of the El Paso shooting, we called on Walmart to end gun and ammunition sales to stop giving to NRA-backed lawmakers to begin lobbying for gun reform. And we wrote a letter to, to Walmart. We began um, communicating with, with the company. Uh, we, as I mentioned, engaged in all sorts of direct on-the-ground advocacy all over the country. There was a whole digital component as well. We asked individuals to deliver what we called Walmart Must Act managers letters to their local Walmarts. Thousands of Americans did that across the country. All of that, I think, created pressure on the company, as well, frankly, as the very real recognition that in a country that has more guns than people, it's not a question of when will the next mass shooting happen, right? It's a, not a question of if, it's a question of when. And so I think American corporations are now recognizing that they have to play a part, that frankly, they have a responsibility to keep um, all those folks that work for them, all those folks that shop at their stores safe. Um, and, you know, we're certainly going to continue this wave and continue this effort to enlist other large companies uh, in this fight. Mm. So, you know, we are entering, you know, a 2020 campaign cycle. Congress is coming back into session. And Walmart is probably one of the most important retailers in a lot of places of the country um, that are more red, that are more conservative. In my hometown, it was the most important business there. How are you all planning? Right? In many places, yeah. Yeah, and so how is your organization planning on using this political momentum as we enter this next congressional uh, session? Well, you know, I think what's significant here is Walmart also saying that they're writing letters to the White House and to Congress uh, to urge them to take on gun reform. And I think that Walmart and other large corporations should go even further. I think they should announce that they're going to stop their political giving to lawmakers who take money from the NRA, right? If you begin to grasp the purse strings and use that leverage with members of Congress, that could be pretty significant. You know, right now, the top 10 recipients of NRA dollars in Congress also get money from Walmart. That shouldn't be the case. Um, and so that to me is a very real pressure point that companies can use uh, in terms of re-examining their giving, but also I think directly lobbying members of Congress using all of that leverage, using all of that political clout that they have with members of Congress to lobby for uh, the background check bill, to lobby for an assault weapon ban, to really make the case for why this is important to them, both as individuals, but also as public-facing corporations. 
you, you've continuously through this conversation mentioned other corporations. Um, what are some of the uh, businesses that you hope follow in Walmart's footsteps? Well, you know, we were really glad to see that Kroger announced late yesterday they're, they're, that they're going to be ending open carry in some of their stores. Um, I think, you know, if you look at major employers across the country, companies like Amazon and UPS and FedEx and, and Target and, and Young Brands, and, and the list goes on and on, uh, you know, they have a real responsibility here to lead. And I think Walmart, in many ways, set a bar for what a corporation must do, uh, the responsibility that it has to the society where it was allowed to build a profitable and prosperous business, um, but also to, again, to its customers and, and to its employees. And so I think those are just some of the companies, some of the kind of best known um, American brands out there. Uh, and so I think, you know, moving forward, we're going to be ensuring that those companies break any ties with the gun industry that they have, that they stop giving political contributions to NRA-backed lawmakers, that they begin investing in the community that they serve by doing things like um, putting forward gun buybacks in their communities, by investing in community-based violence intervention programs that have reduced gun violence in urban areas in this country. So there's a whole menu of things uh, that they can do to be responsible corporate citizens on this issue. Igor, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. As Igor was talking to us, uh, I was thinking that it feels so distinctly American that we have to look to corporations to push yep. for <clears throat> political change, yeah. and it's so contingent on the money that they're willing to donate yeah. to politicians or not, yeah. uh, you know, depending on the political agenda. And I will say, I think you all have gotten many examples this summer of when you do this, it does create change. You look at Equinox, look at Walmart. Your money does actually change the world if you wanted to. So there you go. Mm. Capitalism. Yes. Working some way. Well, one thing before we go, um, I do want to clarify some of our remarks yes. about Beyonce that we made as we were celebrating her birthday today, as well as Lizzo being number one on Billboard. Fact check me, please. Okay, Beyonce does not have an Oscar nomination. Yep. She should have a nomination, though. And uh, we have found out that she came close to an Oscar nomination for Dreamgirls in 2006. She co-wrote the original song um, with two other people, mm -hmm. but uh, apparently they only give out two statues per win, uh, per nomination for the So song. all you're saying, so she was she robbed. She was left out. She was, she was robbed. left out. So Tons. she, so I think our point is, she should have one by now. She deserves. And perhaps she will get one for The Lion King. Yes. So only time. Watch out, time. world. Yes. She's coming. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, later on in the show, I'll be talking about Showtime's new series, Couples Therapy. But up next, it's Fire Tweets. Welcome back, y'all. It's now time for the hottest part of the show. And I just love saying that every time. It will never get old. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump right on in because I'm actually living for these streets today. <laughs> so much because they're a read on me. But Sabrina. They, they really are. <laughs> Sabrina, you tweeted, girl. I want a husband. I'm tired of telling 20 guys how my day went. <laughs> a memoir written by Zach Stafford. I hate this. I'm not responding. But yes, that was really good. I'm like, You're really? just not going to respond to that one? Sure not. You're not going to tell us why it feels so personal and true for you? Sure not. Alex, can you hit the button, please? How <laughs> <laughs> Dad Shrill, you tweeted. I'm trying to imagine explaining to a youth that I once bought albums that I had not heard by bands I was unfamiliar with based only on a recommendation. And 
I have to say, now it feels like such a scam to have to go and buy a CD, which mm-hmm. you only know one song on, and then you're like, I'm stuck with these other 13 songs. I've like that. It was a lot of money to pay. It was like to listen to the one song that you wanted song. to listen to. And also, I remember going through the store and being like, "I think I've heard of this." And you can't like check Twitter to see if anyone cares. You can't Google anything, and you take it out. And you're like, "Oh, this wasn't the right CD." And once you unwrapped it, it done. was over. Done. You can't, you can't return, return it. That. It's you can't over. Return that. So yeah, you all are probably saving money. You pay that much on Spotify a month is what we were the losing. Know. The youth don't know. God, we sound like those people. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Wana, you tweet it. Pizza last night, and my daughter said, Mom, wings too. I looked at her and said, You have wing money? As a joke, two seconds later, she brought her stepping stool to her bookshelf, got her piggy bank, and said, Count my coins. You know what? Agreed, agreed. That is financial responsibility. A mood. mood. Yes. No, don't say something if you don't mean it. I would have stepped up too and said, Yep, here's $7.99, Mom. You got tip. We stand a young legend. Yeah. All right, and you tweeted. Oh, so you liked Hot Girl Summer? Well, buckle the fuck up for exhausted adult fall. Our drink of choice is a lukewarm coffee from earlier this morning, and we eat our meal standing over the sink. <laughs> the tagline? I think I'm getting sick. Our theme? Whatever already's playing. <laughs> oh my God. Which I, this one was resonated a lot for me because I to have stood over a sink eating my dinner. And that is very depressing because I'm a tired adult. Last night I took a Benadryl while eating my microwave food over my sink and I saw this tweet. I'm sorry. Yeah, as I was texting someone, I guess. I'm sorry. Sorry. Tweet of the day comes from Torgo. Principal, so what makes you think you'd be a good teacher? Miss Frizzle, I have held Congress with the devil and his demon bus of science is my dark reward. Principal, haha, you have clouds on your dress. You're hired. Shout out to the parents out there who uh, are sending their kids to school with yes. the teachers who made Congress with the demon yeah. and the, the bus of the devil. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully you have Miss Frizzle because she was bad Love as hell. Bad Love as hell. Well, coming up, Zach is sitting down with actor Shamik Moore, who is starring in Wu-Tang and American Saga. But up next, we are announcing the nomination for the People's Choice Awards. Award season is upon us. The People's Choice Awards honors fan favorites among movies, television, music, and pop culture. The awards aren't until November 10th, but you can start voting for all of your faves today, starting right now. Right now. And not only that, you can vote up to 25 times per day until October 18th, and votes count double every Tuesday. There are 43 categories, now including Animated Movie Star for the first time. And we are so excited to be helping our friends at E! announce these nominees. So let's get started. While the world has continued to be a real dumpster fire, we leaned on comedy to get us through. Here are the nominees for comedy stars that made us laugh when we felt like crying. Ali Wong for Always Be My Maybe, Kevin Hart, The Upside, Rebel Wilson, Isn't It Romantic, Adam Sandler, Murder Mystery, Liam Hensworth, Isn't It Romantic, Dwayne Johnson, Fighting With My Family, Mindy Kaling, Last Night, Noah Centineo, The Perfect Date. Mm. Zach, who are you going to vote for? I mean, Noah Centineo would be my perfect date, but I have to say Ali Wong. I'm Ali Wong all the way. She had such a breakout year. So good. The Netflix movie? Yep. Uh, So, so Mm -hmm. good. We're proud of you, girl. That's the one. Good luck to you on that one. All right. Critics and boomers said reality TV would rot our brains, but it's given us endless memes, biting one-liners, and franchises that we can't tear ourselves away from. We are all better for it, and that's not an opinion. Here are the nominees for Reality Star. First up, Khloe Kardashian, Keeping Up With The Kardashians. 
Kyle Richards, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Lisa Vanderpump, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Amy Leakes, Real Housewives of Atlanta. Jonathan Van Ness, Queer Eye. Candy Burris, Real Housewives of Atlanta. Kyle, Kylie Jenner, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Anthony Porosky, Queer Eye. Woo, look at all these fun Quite people. Quite a crew. So who is yours? I could guess. You can guess. I'm gonna, uh, yes, you want me to guess? Guess. Kyle. Yes, <laughs> Kyle Richards, my girl Kyle Richards. You know, I just love that she brings a mix of like all the mm -hmm. fashion and drama to uh, reality really TV, but also she's just, she's fun, she's grounded. I'll trust you on that. I don't watch I'd the show. I'd grab a drink with her. I would grab a drink with about any of those people on that list. So yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed. Right. <laughs> well, who says millennials don't like music videos? There've been so many good ones this year. Here are the nominees for best music video. Konkama, Daddy Yankee, and Snow. Me. Taylor Swift featuring Brendan Urie of Panic at the Disco. Kill This Love, Blackpink. Seven Rings, Ariana Grande. Bad Guy, Billie Eilish. Boy With Love, BTS featuring Halsey. Dancing with a Stranger, Sam Smith and Normani. Senorita, Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello. Zach, Ooh. which music video did you watch on repeat? I'm gonna say Blackpink because my best friend, Vincent, um, will only come over to my house and play the video over and over in all other K-pop songs. So I have to throw my hat in, that, in the ring for that one. Yeah. Even though I don't know. I know some of the dancing. Ooh. Pop, Ooh. pop, pop, pop. Ooh. What about you? Um, I'm gonna have to go with Ariana Grande. I'm gonna go with Seven Rings, you know? Yeah. I yeah. love that. I, I, I would be happy if those two won it. Well, any of you could win. But, you know, Ariana deserves to. Y'all gotta get out there and vote. That's mm. how we're gonna find out. All right. So you follow their careers. You follow their personal lives. You follow their families. You follow their pets. Let's face it, you're obsessed and it's a bit concerning. Here are the nominees for Social Celebrity. First up, Ariana Grande. Miss Taylor Swift. Ellen DeGeneres. Miley Cyrus. Kim Kardashian West. Oh, and the one and only Cardi B. Sean Mendez, and his fellow Canadian, Justin Bieber. So Alex, how many of these celebs are you currently following? Cardi B. Same. Cardi B's the one. Same, are you even following the other? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot reveal that to you. That is off the record That is off the record. But I, I just want to say, like, Cardi B has such a great mix of just really fun posts with, like, life mm -hmm. advice and also fashion. And, she's great. You know, she's just so entertaining. She's been, like, an OG social star for a while. She, yeah, she, she is. She was, like, her yeah. content goes way back. Like, she is queen, madame, everything. Yes. So I live for her. And yeah. I, you know, we love a black girl joy moment. Black girl sure moment, do. rather. Mm -hmm. Black boy joy, all these things. So, mm -hmm. let's take it to the timeline. Who are you hoping to take home the most awards at the People's Choice Awards? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm Again, you can vote online and on Twitter today through October 18th. The People's Choice Awards airs Sunday, November 10th at 9 p.m. Eastern on E! Don't go away. More am to dm is up next. Dom, you tweeted, Shamik Moore, fine as fuck. My little ugly ass will be watching the Wu-Tang series like heart face emoji in love emoji. <laughs> That's funny. Actor Shamik Moore, star of Wu-Tang in American Saga, a 10-part Hulu series, joins me now. Do you love seeing these streets? Oh, yeah. Do you enjoy being a thirst trap for people on the internet? Ah, uh, you know what? If I'm a thirst trap for people on the internet, that's a blessing. It's it, it really. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get that on a T-shirt. If I'm yeah. a thirst trap on the internet, that's a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> well, moving on uh, past your thirst trapness, let's talk about this new show. Uh, this series was created by RZA himself. Yeah. Um, and what was your reaction when you were approached uh, with the offer to play Raekwon? 
the reaction. Uh, actually, I was approached to just choose a character I wanted to play, and I told him uh, who, and he was like, ah, I want you to play Shireta. And I didn't know it was Raekwon until after I signed up, and we were, you know. <laughs> it's a surprise. Yeah, it was a surprise. I didn't know who I was playing specifically. And then, um, yeah, after that, I just locked in with Raekwon, and I found the character, so... It was a special experience for sure. These guys are iconic. Yeah, they're super iconic. And yeah. you know, you weren't even alive when they released their big album in 1993. Right. Right. So how were you able to bridge that generational gap of learning someone that was so iconic only through the past in which you weren't there for? Uh, I think just meeting him and just like looking at how he walked, how he was eating food, how he was telling his story, the look in his eye when he was getting hyped, when he was chilling, when he was listening to me, how he was interacting and all that. Like that's... That's what I was paying attention to. And then was there anything challenging connecting? Because, you know, if I was asked to play someone that was alive before I was born or performing, I'd be like, oh, this is a little intimidating, and especially right. when you're working with them. But right. what was something that you struggled with during that process? Just, I think, the lingo, like how he talks and, you know, because I talk more proper and, uh, you know. Yeah, son. Hey, yo, you know. It's shot right in the building, know what I mean? Word is born, you know what I'm saying? I have to get in character real quick, know what I mean? And it was like just, you know, realizing like it's about how he was moving and interacting and yeah. all that. Like, you know, jumping in, in and out of the, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's what I had to pick up, mm -hmm. you know? Like how do I sell him? Because vocally I couldn't, sound identical to him. You yeah, know, so. but you had you did the body really well. So were you watching so they, a lot of videos? Were you like kind of sitting in front of your TV just mimicking him. him? I was watching him in person, you know what I'm saying? Because we never, we didn't we didn't meet 17-year-old Raekwon. That's yeah. like who I'm playing. I'm mm -hmm. playing Raekwon before That's he true. was even Raekwon. Yeah. So the the characteristics, you know what I'm saying? That's what I wanted to bring to the character so that you felt like, oh, when you meet him, if you get the chance to meet him in mm -hmm. person, it's like, I see what, I get it, like, that could have been you, for yeah. real, in like real life, you know? Yeah. So, so you're able to build that connection really yeah. quickly. Well, you know, beyond that rap legend, you're a music uh, talent yourself. You know, you, you have some skills, and that's what helped you do this role so well. So the big <laughs> question today is, can we get an album out of you anytime soon? Uh, the album will probably be a little while from now, but my first mixtape EP, if you want to call it an album, mm -hmm. it's an album, but that's dropping in about a month or so, definitely before the end of the year. I have some really dope content I've been directing to go along with the Sonics. The visuals are amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've been working on this project for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I've just been trying to put myself in a position to excel mm -hmm. when I drop it, not just put it out and there's nothing behind it. Yeah, and you know, you, it seems like you've been training for this your whole life. And you know, yeah. you're not only a great actor and singer, but you also can dance, which yes, I learned. Thank you. Um, and I learned that you uh, you got served, changed your life. You've said in the yeah. past. How did that do that? Well, my dad took me to see the movie You Got Served, and before then, I was uh, I was in like Christian school and all boys military school, and. Um, you know, hip hop was like devil music. Mm -hmm. So long story short, dad came home, he was a reggae musician, Israel Vibration, guitar player. Okay, I was like, you're playing devil music. He's like, devil music? <laughs> he took me to see the movie You Got Served, mm -hmm. and I walked in with my pants on my belly button, and I came out sagging. Oh, you like and did an identity change? Yeah, just identity change. I was like, I 
now understand a little bit more of who I am. Movies will do that to you sometimes. Yeah, they will. And it, I'm glad it did because, you know, you're now here. Right. <laughs> um, and speaking of being now here, you are famously in the Spider-Man uh, universe. Yeah. Uh, you played Miles Morales in Into the Spider-Verse, <laughs> which is incredible. Um, did you realize that that role was going to have such an impact? Because, you know, that film has really taken over the culture in ways I didn't even see coming as a Spider-Man fan. Um. I didn't expect it to win an Oscar. I didn't expect it to win a Golden Globe, but um, I am thankful it did. I knew it would be impactful because the first time I saw Miles Morales, mm-hmm. I thought it looked like somebody drew my face, mm-hmm. like literally. Yeah. You know, so I, so when I wrote I Am Miles Morales in my journal while filming the movie Dope, I actually meant that I am him. Like you are that person. You know what I'm saying? Because when I saw him, it was like I was looking in the mirror, you know? And playing him and it becoming what it is is just an honor and the perfect collaboration between writers, producers, mm-hmm. actors, and directors, you know, editors, anima- animators. Mm-hmm. And, and since it's been such a good collaboration between all of you, can we expect a sequel anytime soon? I don't know about anytime soon, but I know that they're, you know, doing their thing. They're, you know. Mm-hmm. Figuring it out. They're figuring it out. I'm waiting for them to do their part, and then when they're ready for me, I'll jump in, do my part. Same same uh, system all over again. Perfect. That's all we can ask for. So before I let yeah. you go, I want to read this tweet from Tristan Phillips. He says, Shamik Moore is the best Spider-Man. Do not at me. Bow, 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 <laughs> bow, bow. And Freckle Jones tweeted, I rock with Toby heavy, but Tom Holland and Shamik Moore are better. So the question for you today, who is the best Spider-Man out there? I mean, you know. I'm the best Spider-Man. <laughs> but I much love the Tom Holland. He did his thing. You know, Sony now mm-hmm. owns all of Spider-Man, so <laughs> the ball's in my field. It just is what it is. Yeah. But, you know, Tom was the last dude to really hold the gauntlet and to kill it, you know, so much love to him. Tobey Maguire's still my favorite, you mm-hmm. know, because that was my first Spider-Man and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but, you know... Who would, I mean, I'm looking forward to flipping over this desk, yeah. you know what I'm saying, <laughs> and, and playing my, my work in Dope, The Get Down, and Wu-Tang. I mean, just imagine me as Spider-Man, Miles Morales, live Got action. It. It just, it's going to be iconic. It's I- going to be iconic. It's going to be great. Well, Shamik, thank you so much for joining me today. It's cool. been great thank to you. hang out with you, and I'm so excited for this new series. Thank you. And you all, Wu-Tang and American Saga premieres today on Hulu. But up next, Alex sits down with the stars of Couples Therapy. Here's a tweet from Rochelle. I believe every person should go to therapy. I believe every married couple should go to couples therapy. Life is hard, relationships are hard, and there's nothing wrong with needing a little extra help. Now imagine getting that extra help on camera, which is exactly what some brave pairs are doing in the new Showtime series, Couples Therapy. Joining me now is filmmaker Josh Kriegman and starring therapist Orna Gronick. Thank you both for joining me. Yeah, here. So, uh, Josh, why did you want to focus on couples as they go through this process in a therapy setting? Yeah, so uh, both of my parents are therapists, so that's kind of... My dad is also a therapist. Okay, well, (laughs) there you go. So, you know, I I grew up in that world and sort of familiar with the language of therapy and, you know, hearing stories of the kinds of really extraordinary things that can happen in a therapist's office. And so, as a filmmaker, I and Elise and Eli, our filmmaking partners, we were excited to find a way to see if we could capture what's incredible about therapy while also sticking to what's uh, authentic about Mm -hmm. it, um, which is, of course, a challenge. Mm -hmm. Dr. Gralnick, what made you interested in participating? Oh, um, 
First of all, um, this is an extension of my academic work. I usually write, publish, teach on therapy, psychoanalysis, couples work, um, and it's, it was a chance to go beyond sort of the ivory tower of academia mm. and reach a real audience and share my love of what I do. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about having these sessions with people on camera, um, did that raise any ethical issues for you? Or what were some considerations that you made in terms of talking to these couples and doing it in a, in a film setting? Um, yeah, I had to, it had to be distinguished very clearly from a normal therapeutic setting where we have strict confidentiality mm-hmm. boundaries. Um, had to be clear that we're doing something different and that people are comfortable with what they're doing and aware of what they're consenting to, mm-hmm. which they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, um, it was the work. It was the work itself that it was about. Mm-hmm. So, Josh, how did you find these couples? Did you spe- want specific dynamics or issues that represent um, what a lot of people go through? Yeah, so these are real, relatable couples. These are real people who have genuine crises in their relationships, and they were seeking, sincerely seeking help in, in working through um, some, of their, some of their issues. So, that was really important to us to find folks who really wanted to do the work and who were also inspired by part of the mission of the series. I think that these couples felt that they were excited about the possibility that sharing their stories in this way publicly as part of a documentary series might actually help people who can mm. relate to what they're going through and can share in their struggles. And that really is kind of core to the vision for the series. And I think something you know we both shared that we were excited about was you know, couples often struggle in isolation. There's a kind of loneliness to the to what we work, struggle with. We're not often that open about what's really going on, and there's sometimes a taboo around even acknowledging that relationships take work. So this is a chance to recognize that our struggles are universal and they're human, and there's real value in finding those points of connection and sharing. What are some of the struggles that these couples are grappling with? Couples, uh, first of all, couples tend to get into very... Um, set patterns and grooves, what we call kind of in jargon, repetition compulsion. Um, and each couple typically tends to struggle with one or two key issues that they revisit and they get stuck in. Um, some of them can be around power, sex, money. Um, some of them can be around the history of trauma that revisits people in contemporary life. Um, trust, withdrawal, and persecution. What are you hoping viewers learn about, you know, in watching these couples go through this process on screen, what are you hoping viewers take into their own homes about the process that they're going through? Or is there anything that they can apply to their lives or their own couple, their own uh, conflicts with their partners? Well, first of all, as Josh said, just to feel less alone with the um, experience of conflict and strife that comes with being in a long-term relationship and having to deal with someone who is other than you and challenges you in that way. Um, But also I'm hoping that um, people value the capacity to actually listen to each other and face truths about each other and about the relationship that they thought maybe they don't have the resilience to cope with. Mm-hmm. This reminds me a little bit of something you said in uh, the trailer, which was um, about uh, it takes so much to change. You mentioned the word change mm-hmm. in the trailer. Um, 
how do people arrive at that point where they want to change? Because I feel like wanting to change, it's so hard to be open to that. Well, people want to change. I think underlying the underlying basis of all of us is that we want to grow and we want to develop and we don't want to stay the same. We want to change. Um, and one of the beautiful things that a relationship puts in front of us is that you have someone other than you that is kind of a, a provocateur for change. So people want to change. I mean, they get stuck in grooves and they get stuck in old patterns and they need help kind of releasing from it and seeing it. But I think the underlying force is always for development, for health, for mm. growth. Mm. Um, Josh, I was struck by uh, how you went from your previous film, which is about Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin, to this film. Was there anything about focusing on that couple who, uh, you know, their personal life has played out famously, um, you know, in the news. Um, and then going from this one, was there anything that stuck with you in doing that project that you took into this one? Yeah, absolutely. So Elise, Eli, and I made Wiener together, this documentary about Anthony Wiener. But as you say, it was also about his relationship with his wife. And one of the things that I think you see in that film that people really responded to was seeing how their relationship was far more complex and nuanced than it might appear in the headlines. And that is, I think, kind of a basic truth about relationships. We never really know what's going on in, in other people's relationships. Sometimes we think we do, but really when you get into the, into the details, it's, it's incredibly complicated. Mm. And we were excited as, you know, taking, away, taking that away from, from that film, as filmmakers, we were excited to kind of delve deeper into that truth and really see if we could take a look at what uh, the inside of relationships really look like. Mm. So obviously, uh, there is so much uh, thought and nuance um, that's gone into this series. What do you all make of shows like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette that have people play out these relationship dynamics, um, you know, in a reality TV setting? I have a secret here. I do not watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> that may be for the better. It's not an accident that Orna is, is, has, you know, uh, is a part of this, this series. Because for us, you know, we really cared very much about uh, avoiding and steering clear of the kind of sensationalism and yeah. salaciousness that you see in reality TV. And ultimately, you know, I think we all recognize that reality TV is often fake. And this is not, you know, this is a documentary series that is at its core authentic. We worked very hard to create a space where these couples could do real work without interference and without manipulation. You know, we never, all we asked of these couples was to show up and be real. Hmm. And, uh, you know, as filmmakers in the verite tradition, you know, we really love to be flies on the wall, to, you know, find ourselves in places where the truth can be revealed and just to capture and observe that. And that's what this is about. Well, it's really fascinating. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks. Couples Therapy premieres on Showtime on Friday, September 6th. Up next, Zach sits down with Greenleaf actor Merle Dandridge. Here's a tweet from Roasting Host. Thank you for that. I live for Miss Grace Greenleaf. So do I, which is, oh, God, that was all the same thing. So do I, which is why I'm so excited to be sitting down with Merle Dandridge, actor and star of Greenleaf on OWN. Oh, thank you for having my me. My fellow Tennessean. Yeah. I just found out. Well, I grew up in Nebraska, but all the Dandridges are from Memphis. So I spent all God. of my summers there. But yeah, we're Tennessee. We, we got to grow. Church folk. We, we yeah. are those people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is why I love the show yeah. so, so much. Oh, thank so you. So last night was the season premiere of season four, series, uh, the premiere of season four. Yeah. Uh, and you were up tweeting on both quotes. 
Wait. No, I tried to stay it for West Coast, but I was like, sorry, you like y'all. ended up stopping. Because, you know, we were promoting the show yesterday. Yeah. So I was up early and I knew I had to get up early yeah. this morning, too. So I tried really hard. But yes, but I did you try too. really hard every time. I, I noticed do. you on Twitter doing this, which is fantastic. No, I love to engage with everyone. If people are giving us that kind of love and interested in the stories that we have put so much attention and time into, mm-hmm. then. Yeah, I'm going to be there. You're show for them. Yeah, and I want to talk to them about it because it's meaningful. And I mm-hmm. think the storylines that we've been dealing with are so human and relatable. And that's part of mm-hmm. what makes Greenleaf so beautiful is that it's a conversation yes. starter. It, it's a healer. It, you know? It sure is. And how has that been, like, you know, connecting on Twitter with them like that? Because I think that's a fascinating part about what you do mm-hmm. with the show is that you're doing that labor of telling really hard stories about our communities. Mm-hmm. But then you're taking it online. So what drew you to wanting to do that? Well... As an artist, you hope that something that you do resonates, that we are able to hold up a mirror to a social condition or, um, again, start a conversation and that your work will be able to, as artists, we have a different Mm -hmm. ability to move the needle and or um, heal something in somebody's heart or or, or make somebody feel seen. Mm -hmm. And so in that, there's a little bit of a responsibility to that. And... As a character, like Grace Greenleaf seems so accessible to mm-hmm. people, the way that people walk up to me on the street and tell me such intimate stories, um, I feel like it's a great opportunity and form uh, within which I can really connect to mm-hmm. a lot more people, yeah. you know, rather than when I'm broke down after my workout in the grocery <laughs> store. Which I love too, by the when way. When they come up to you, and yes. you're like, I'm just trying to buy kale. No, I'm not, but I'm like, how did you recognize me? I look crazy. <laughs> I look crazy. Actually, <laughs> that would get very annoying. You're like, I just have this ball cap on, and you know who I am, and then yeah. we we'll have this deep conversation. But with they you. come with such love. Yes, and, and, it, and it makes sense though, because your character, you know, this season is interim head pastor. Yeah. So you are the person people should go to, mm-hmm. um, and you're going to be working a lot with Lady May, your mm-hmm. mom, to reclaim the church. That's right. So how did you and Lynn Whitfield change your dynamic for this season? Because you all have some of the most iconic pairing moments throughout any television show. I think. yeah. Well, mother daughter relations, any kind of long-term familial strife has layers Mm -hmm. and it goes through phases. So now Lady May and Grace are on the same team. They have an external foe that they need to come together. And Mm -hmm. since Grace has a few secrets of her own uh, that skeletons that are coming out of the closet, it's very equalizing for them. Mm -hmm. So it's it's no longer like you did this and you did that. It's like, oh, look at us. (laughs) Aren't we a mess? Apple tree. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. not, fall, not falling far from it. And uh, we're accepting that we're both flawed. But it's just such a wonderful story. And I love that the audience has really connected mm-hmm. with them and understood them. But um, there's a scene from last night where they're talking about and they're planning how they're going to get the family back into the church. And all Grace really wants to talk about with her mom is, when can we let these truths out about my origin story, mm-hmm. about where I, my identity, when can we let these things come out? Mm-hmm. Because mama, you are, you, she's no longer willing to be, let her mom be the gatekeeper of yeah. that. She's gonna go and claim her identity um, and her truth. You know? Yeah, and why do you think that's been so important for this season of this idea of truth saying within the black church? Mm. It seems like something that I personally felt a lot, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's something that you all are trying to communicate to us as a community. In a yeah, I, I mean, there's something really delicate about being the instrument through which God speaks and to be on the platform um, with a clear conscience and a humble heart and 
be dealing with your very human mm-hmm. issues. Yes. I mean, are you worshiping the man or are you worshiping the one, mm-hmm. you know? And being in the pulpit, people are looking at you and expecting a certain pristine lifestyle, but we are dealing with human beings mm-hmm. who go through the same stuff that we do. I mean, yes, they have a high, a high calling on their life, mm-hmm. um, but... I think we've all seen people who are on that platform and, and may have fallen a little short. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think your show does a great job of like showing the humanity and falling right. short. And we're creating empathy for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, but just like, so, so I'm sorry, I'm like thinking about this, I'm like, yeah, because your show has literally been the only example I've seen where like I look at my own family, my own history, and see that like, oh yeah, we weren't that perfect and it's okay to talk about it that way. Wow. And have that out there, so thank you yeah. for that. Well, thank you know, you. before I let you go, I have to talk about your time on Broadway. Ah, uh, you know, <laughs> you, right. you live between New York and LA, mm-hmm. uh, you were most, re- most recently in Once on This Island. Yeah. Um, and what was the difference between performing on Broadway versus the television screen for you? Well, Island was my sixth Broadway show. This is my stomping grounds. This Mm -hmm. is my home. And one, it was great to be back in the community, Um, but it's very grounding for me to be on the stage. And it's the oldest art form, just being in a circle and telling stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it doesn't get more primal and community-driven as that. And there's an immediate, there's an immediacy to what we share in that space that will never be captured again. Mm -hmm. Um, Conversely, on the camera, it's going to pick up every nuance in your spirit and the the reach is much farther Mm -hmm. and and it lives on in perpetuity. (laughs) I mean, if you haven't seen it, Greenleaf seasons one, two, and three on Netflix. (laughs) On Netflix. (laughs) Okay, okay. I'm just kidding. That's all I'm saying. But, you know, I I had this really profound experience when I was playing Aida on the palace stage um, right after 9-11, singing The Gods Love Nuvia about, you know, rousing a nation after this big catastrophe that Mm -hmm. happened to them. And the feeling in that theater, first, to stand on the stage, like like Judy Garland stood on, all these greats stood on. um, That's the one thing, but then to be in a room and um, deliver a message of lifting one another up. I, I just am such a firm believer if you have a platform to to bring hope. Yeah. Say, li- speak life. Yeah, uh, I love God. You're taking me to church over here. Oh, like, okay. yes, girl, <laughs> yes, yes, speak, yes, hopeful. Well, thank you. I could talk to you all day. And uh, we're same. Out of time, uh, which makes me really sad. But I want to say thank you so much for being here and for your work on the show. It's uh, a really important show beyond the fact that our queen goddess Oprah is behind it. And is let's in it. just talk about that like, for a second. I mean, her intentionality is just. Wow. That's why it's affecting us. She knew exactly what we needed to talk she about. She did. She knew exactly what we needed to to go through and be through right. with her. So yes, I and she gave me this job. <laughs> Well, you all, if, you're, if you are not watching Greenleaf, you need to watch it now. You need to become best friends with Miss Dandridge uh, immediately because I'm trying to. <laughs> Greenleaf is on OWN every Tuesday, so stay tuned for that. But up next, we are responding to your tweets. Welcome, welcome. It's still B-Day here. It still is. Every single day should be (laughs) B-Day. We wanted to know when you heard Beyonce for the first time. Shane says, hi, Zach. 
My first Beyonce <laughs> was Independent Woman. Such oh a good one. Oh my gosh. Hi, Shane. Nice to meet you. <laughs> you got some fans, you know? know. Uh, and Christian added, I first heard Beyonce around 11.30 p.m. when I was in the club after leaving my man at home. Oh. On that particular evening, the club happened to be full of ballers and their pockets were full <laughs> gross. <laughs> I died. I just kicked over something. More of those tweets. Wow. Always. That was Always. amazing. Yes, yeah. yes girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wanted to know about what you thought about the conversation between Lil Nas X and Kevin Hart. Lillian says, I think Kevin Hart is in the hospital, and some of the comments I've been seeing are low blows. I also think Lil Nas X answered the question perfectly. I'm also straight, so I also think my opinions are probably irrelevant. There we go. And look, I think we can have a, a good, thoughtful, critical conversation mm-hmm. without making any low blows. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but, you know, we can talk we'll about it. Account, while also so. acknowledging the context in which yeah. these things are happening. So, yeah. yeah, but thank you for that note. We we love hearing from you all. But thank you to our guests as well, Igor Volsky, Josh Kriegman, Orno Gurlonik, Shamik Moore, and Merle Dandridge. We'll be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Hey!